0: Our people. And I want you to notice I, I don't say our purpose is found in people because that's too broad. And a lot gets lost in believing that. Our purpose is found in our people. You know, you got people, right? In Mark chapter 5, we read the story of Jesus' visit to the Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek word, it means ten. Cities. It was quite frankly one of the most godless regions in the world at the time. It's where the Canaanites settled after being displaced by Israel as Joshua led God's people into the promised land. It was a place no self respecting Jewish rabbi would take his disciples. But Jesus took the fellows in a boat to the Decapolis region. And only one guy came out to greet them when they arrived. And this man uh, was possessed by multiple demons. He came crawling out of the cemetery, shouting at Jesus and the disciples. And we don't have time to tell the entire story. It's not our assignment today, but the short of it is that Jesus very kindly escorted the demons out of the man, allowed them to enter Into a herd of pigs, and that herd was entirely and subsequently destroyed when they ran off a cliff and into the water. The news spread about what had happened, and the people from those communities came out to see what happened firsthand. And it says now in Mark chapter 5, verse 15: we pick up the action when they came. To Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. That's something they never thought they'd see. This dude, this, this, this guy, who was pretty sideways for obvious reasons. And he was looking rather civilized. For the first time in their memory, and and it says there at the end of verse 15, and they were what? They were afraid. In fact, in verse 17, it says that they begged Jesus just to leave. It's amazing to me. After they saw what Jesus did for this guy, that not one of them said, you did that? I got, we got some stuff going on in, in our community. Can you come help those people? We got some sick relatives. Do you have the power to heal them? None of that. Just go. Verse 18, Jesus is getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him. Jesus did not allow him. Jesus resisted, letting him go along back to Galilee. But Jesus said, go home, here we go, to your what? Your own people. See, our purpose is found in our own people. That guy had people. You know, y'all got people? Y'all got people I will probably never meet? that they're going to meet the same Jesus that I know because they know you. Anyway, I digress. Verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were what? Hmm. From afraid to amazed. Isn't that interesting? I'm just telling you guys, this is the way it still works. People are generally afraid of Jesus. That's why whenever your family comes together at the holidays, they always lay down the ground rules. We can't talk politics, and we can't talk religion. They're afraid of Jesus, but they'll be amazed at your testimony about what Jesus has done in your life. They'll be amazed by that. For almost 40 years, I resolved not to allow the church I led to ever, 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 ever forget that. To never forget their ultimate purpose in life. That their purpose is found in their people. Apostle Paul is writing much later, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again because it's a safeguard for you. And that's why Pastor Ryan will keep telling you the same things over and over and over. And I have a hunch that if you're tired of hearing the word oikos, (laughs) that's too bad. (laughs) You might hear it a time or two in the future. Notice Paul says it's no trouble. And so here's the question. When does the trouble that other people create for us actually become no trouble? I remember when our son uh, was attending Biola University and he started dating a girl who now is his beautiful wife, Tegan, and I said to him, where are you going to watch the final four? I just called him up because I wanted to know. This kid was, ours is a basketball family. Our daughters had the chance to play here at the Pyramid a couple times when they had the CAF finals. Um, and, and our son is a huge basketball guy. I would take him out of school on the Thursday and Friday of March Madness for the first two weeks. I'd just take him out of school. And, and the school would say, why are you taking him out of school? And I'd tell them. they say, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, well, and, and we, we just watch basketball. And so I knew it was something that he was used to doing. And so I said, where well, are you going to watch the Vana for? Because now he's a bio, he's not at home. And he said, I'm not. And I said, well, why aren't you? And he said, I'm taking Tegan out for sushi. I said, you don't even like sushi. <laughs> and then I said, who are you? To not watch the final four and to go for sushi. See, at that moment, I knew they were going to get married. I knew it. (laughs) See, the question goes back to the passage out of Philippians we just read. When do you care enough about someone that whatever would have before been trouble is now no trouble? And when are you willing to repeat the same things over and over and over again? You know, church leaders are like that. Pastors are like that. We just refuse to allow you to forget your purpose as a church family. And so that's why we're going to remind you over and over and over again. And you know what? It's going to be no trouble. Pastor Ryan cares so deeply about this church family. That's so obvious to me. Anyway, that's our purpose. Our power, look at point number two, our power is triggered by a principle. And you're familiar with this already, uh, I'm sure, and I'm sorry we weren't here last week um, to you know kind of launch this, this series on Oikos. We had a foot of snow last Saturday where we lived and so that's why we were unable to we couldn't even get out of our driveway let alone get here but this principle that we talk about is the oikos principle and I know you've become familiar with it already but the principle simply stated is this 95% of Christian conversions are generated through a personal relationship one that is shared between a believer and someone who is close to them Jesus saves everybody who gets saved But Jesus has chosen, evidently, to use this principle 95% of the time. See, the source of our power is the Holy Spirit. But he triggers that power through the exponential potential of this oikos principle. And that's why Jesus said to this guy, this previously demonized guy, he said, go home. Go home to your own people. And here's what's interesting to me. That man was prepared to engage his people with the gospel. Immediately after he met Jesus. There was only one prerequisite for him to be commissioned to build the kingdom of God. And that prerequisite for him was the removal of demons. that's it. And so if you're sitting here today and you're saying, Tom, to the best of my knowledge, I am not demon-possessed, then you have fulfilled every prerequisite to now engage your own people with the gospel. And every time you go to a class and learn a little more, it's all good. I'm just saying. There's nobody in this room that should be able to say, you know, when I learn a little more, then I'm going to intentionally engage my oikos with the gospel. You know, we have so thoroughly been programmed to believe that church is somehow for us. Consumerism has always posed a problem for us because we're born consumers. Consumers. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that because God created you to be a consumer. But his intent was that you would consume him. This God-given drive to consume has been shifted now toward things and pleasure rather than worship God. And that's caused a lot of churches to define the church's mission as inward. We come together because we're here for us. Never think so highly of yourselves, Sound Church, that you believe that what you do here is for you. I was in uh, Seoul, Korea and I, it was a, a conference there, and uh, I was speaking to a guy i just met. I'd heard a lot about him, and he was the pastor of a church I believe had more campuses at that time than any church, any church, and so we were talking about this oikos principle, which the host of the conference had made the theme of the entire conference, and so he was, you know, we were picking each other's brains about what our understanding of this was, and, and he, I said well what is the purpose statement of your church? and he came up with something that sounded this way it's like upward inward and outward and in other words upward worship inward growth and outward you know sharing Christ and and I said oh that would never work at HDC and he was a little bit offended by that and he said well why <laughs> we became friends but at that moment it was a little tense he said why, why would that not work at HTC? And I said, because you can't give people options. Upward, inward, outward gives people options. I mean, what will people default to? What will you default to? What will I default to? If I'm given those three options, I will, we will always default inward. We want to go to a church where we're well-fed. That's why churches now are perceived as restaurants. Some of us are able to move our church from the restaurant category to the resort category where all of your family's spiritual needs will be met. You can come and spa for the day. You can enjoy an entertaining show. You can hear about politics that might resonate with what you believe. You might be able to enjoy some music that you have grown up enjoying. And then we pastors become celebrity chefs Who are competing so that we're not chopped? (laughs) We want the best spiritual nourishment we can provide our clients, and we need to dish it up before they decide to run across town and begin attending another restaurant that serves up better food. We live in a world where Christians are proud to say their church is famous. A world where pastors hope our names can be invoked in national discussions. We live in a world of the celebrity church where people can hardly wait to come back next week. At that conference, uh, we we had an assignment. Cheryl and I were there. We ended up returning there. I think six or seven times. And every time we would go and speak at a conference or at a church, our host, who was the same host, every time we traveled to Korea, we'd start off early in the morning, he'd pick us up at the hotel around 7 o'clock, and then we'd drive across town somewhere, and Seoul's the kind of city that sometimes takes uh, two to three hours to even get from one part of the city to the other. And on the way, we'd engage in conversation, the three of us and Steve would say every morning something about the pastor of the church where we would be presenting that day. And the first uh, day, uh, Pastor Tom, uh, pastor of the church where you're presenting today is the 11th most influential pastor in, in Korea. And I thought, wow, that's kind <clears> of <throat> impressive. Impressive. And then the next morning, you pick us up, Pastor Tom, uh, the church where you're presenting today uh, is led by the seventh most influential pastor in Korea. And I said, that's, that's impressive. And then the third day, Pastor Tom, pastor you're, of the church you're presenting at today is like 16th most influential pastor in Korea. And I thought, well, now we're trending the wrong way. You know, did I... Mess it up yesterday, what's going on? And we joke about that. Finally, I just said, Steve, do you guys like have a fantasy league for pastors here <laughs> in Korea? I mean, it's, it, it seemed like it was all about being number one. And he explained to me how pastors in that culture, much reflecting the culture itself, nobody likes to be second place. And so I thought, man, that's sad. And then we came home from that trip very first trip to Korea, came home, and like you, we were gone for a few days, the mail had piled up, and sitting on the top, on on my desk at work, on the top of the pile was a magazine cover that said in big print, the 10 most influential pastors in the United States of America, and I thought we have met the enemy, and they are us. business apostle, Jim Collins. Some of you may have read his work. Um, We've read everything he's written. Anyway, a lot of best-selling books, and a lot of it laterals over into the nonprofit world very easily. But he wrote an article more recently entitled, Forget Strategy, Build Mechanisms. So... We digress for a moment and enter the world of corporate America, and I'm quoting him, he says, almost by definition, an enduring great company has to be built not to depend on an individual leader, because individuals die or retire or move on. What's more, when a company's identity cannot be separated from the identity of its leader, it can't be known for what it stands for, which means it sacrifices the potency of being guided by its core purpose. In other words, The one thing Jesus gave us to do, we'll get lost in the shuffle. He continues, and I'm quoting again, so the charismatic leader model has to die. What do you replace it with, he asks. The task of the CEO is uniquely positioned positioned to do. Designing the mechanisms that reinforce and give life to the organization's core purpose and stimulate the organization to change. He continues. I'm sorry, it's an extended quote, but I'm getting to a point here. Charismatic style CEOs understandably find it hard to let go of the buzz that comes from having this intense, direct, personal influence. But a charismatic leader is not an asset. Look at this it's a liability companies have to recover from. A company's long-term health requires a leader who can infuse the company with its own sense of purpose instead of his or hers, and who can translate that purpose into action through mechanisms, not the force of personality, end of quote. Basically, what he's saying, Ryan, is that we should be plug and play. Unplug one and plug in another, because it's not about us. We have a purpose that transcends all of us. Almost 40 years ago, I learned that Oikos was not a program, it's a mechanism. It's a trigger. The Oikos principle is a trigger. And once it's pulled, it pushes people outward. The Oikos principle will absolutely refuse to allow any local church to become inward-focused. As a youth pastor, I discovered the principle, went to a workshop and discovered it from a man named Wynn Arn. and I knew at that time something I've come to learn again over and over since, and that is that every bad idea starts out as a good idea. And so I wondered, maybe Oikos just sounds like a good idea. And so with the permission of my senior pastor, I put it to the test, and over the course, Of that first year, our small youth group began to grow exponentially, and within a few years, the group had outgrown the ability of the church to sustain it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but students generally don't tithe. But the church is in a much different position today than it was back then 40 years ago when I learned this principle. The latest numbers tell us that less than 20% of Americans are even interested in considering attending a weekend church service. And so if our goal, our goal, our collective goal as the body of Christ is to fill buildings like this on weekends, we're failures. Some churches seem to have an easy time getting people to attend. But since Outreach Magazine's top 100 churches in the United States services only 2% of the body of Christ, which means 98% of kingdom work will be done by averagely gifted pastors like me, leading averagely resourced churches like High Desert Church. Church is not a weekend service. The English word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it refers to a group of people. You don't go to church, folks. You are the church. Our word church that we use in our vernacular is derived from the ancient German "Kirka." which designates a street address. That's why we talk about going to the church. It's something we can see on our GPS. And I'm not suggesting that we change the word we use to describe the group or groups that we lead, but we just need to remind ourselves the Great Commission was not given to nonbelievers. It was not given to the unchurched. Jesus never challenged the world to come into our buildings. He challenged you, the church, to go into a really lost world. And that's the amazing thing. You don't even have to go because God has already platformed you there. God has already given you your own people. Picture your life as taking place in a theater, it's filled with a lot of people. And some people are sitting way up in the balcony and others are in the mezzanine and still others are sitting down in the orchestra section. And then to some degree, you look at all of the people filling that theater and you recognize that to some degree, all of them can see how you behave if you're on stage and all of them can hear what you say to some degree. But then there are those who have been given the best seats in the house. They're sitting in the front row. The Greeks called that group, the people in your front row seats, the Greeks called that group your oikos. The Greeks called that group your own people. I was explaining the oikos principle to a church in Orange County a few years ago, and during one of the breaks in the workshop, a couple of nurses came up to me and asked me if I'd ever heard of the R-naught. And I thought they were messing with me. And so I said, no, I are not familiar with that. And they laughed and they said, no, Pastor Thomas, it's a real thing. And I said, well, explain it to me. And they said that r not is a metric used by epidemiologists as a basic reproduction number. It's used to measure the transmittability of infectious agents. In other words, the higher the R-naught, and it's the letter R with a subscript zero, R-naught. The higher that number, the more contagious the virus. And every virus has a range attached to it, which reflects the likelihood that should you or I be infected, a certain number of others would catch that virus from us. Unless, and this is significant, and this is right out of the literature, unless measures are taken to mitigate contact. And every disease, as I said, every virus has an R-naught. And when I got home that night, I dug into this idea a little more because I was fascinated by it. And I discovered that there are three factors that determine a particular viruses R-naught value. Number one, how long you remain infectious, Number two, your proximity to other people. And number three, how often personal connections occur. I thought it wasn't that interesting. In other words, the R-naught is the essence of the Oikos principle. The R-naught for the flu, you know, the flu flu is two. And that means that if you get the flu... It is to be expected that two other people would become infected by your flu unless measures are taken to mitigate contact. The r not for COVID, the original version, two to three. The r not for the, the Delta variant, which popped up right after that, six to seven. People will catch it unless measures are taken to mitigate contact. The r not. For the Omicron version was three to five times that. The R-naught for the measles. 12 to 18 people, it is expected, will catch the measles from you unless what? Measures are taken to mitigate contact. You know what the R-naught for the gospel is? 8 to 15. God has supernaturally and strategically placed anywhere from 8 to 15 people in the front row seats of your life. And 95% of the time, if any one of them give their heart to Jesus, it will be primarily because of the influence that you will have in their life. The r not for the gospel. You know, the gospel is generally transmitted virally, there is an extreme likelihood that should you give your life to Christ, a certain number of others will catch the Christian faith from you. Unless what? Measures are taken to mitigate contact. And my contention, and if you've read any of the books I've written, you know this is true already, my contention is this. There have been subtle changes in church leadership and ministry over the last century That while well-intentioned, have mitigated the kind of contact required for regular outbreaks of the gospel to occur. Because the church has suddenly become about who? About us. No matter how powerful our leadership conferences seem, no matter how talented our ministry leaders might be, the gospel is still a viral agent. That's what the data shows us. And that's why Jesus told that dude, nah, you're not come with me, bro. I want you to go home to your own people. Because that's where the heavy lifting is done to build the kingdom of God. Last point, number three. Got to hurry here. Sorry, it's taking a little while. I drove a long time though, Ryan. Here we go, number three. Our potential is framed by our programming. Our potential is framed by our programming. And now, when I say programming, I'm not talking about the programs you run in this ministry. I'm talking about the hard drive God built into the human race. I'm talking about the way you're programmed. The way I'm programmed. The way, you know, you you got your program, I got my program, all God's children got their program. And the funny thing is, we all got the same one. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. I don't know what's going to happen next in your life. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't know what's going to happen this week. Some of you are all stressed out about maybe a decision that needs to be made or maybe a decision that's going to be made for you. And I don't know what's going to happen to you all. I will tell you this. Whatever happens. Make sure you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because people are watching. And people are listening. Especially those 8 to 15 people, God has supernaturally and strategically given front row tickets to your life. See, the reason oikos relationships are the primary generators for kingdom growth is because talk is cheap. I tell, well, you say, I tell people this all the time. I used to tell people this all the time. Then I retired. (laughs) But since you're here, I'll tell you. (laughs) Just follow the numbers, and you'll eventually get to the truth. Just follow the data. It is estimated that there are 11 million sensory receptors in the human brain. 10 million of them are committed to the sense of sight. What does that tell you about your programming? Over half of our brain is dedicated to processing what we see. Over half. And that's why we, we never believe everything we hear. But we will believe something if we see it with our own eyes. The reason Jesus gave us the Oikos principle to virally share the gospel is because Jesus had already designed our anatomy to leverage it. That's why it's so effective. That word worthy of the gospel, worthy is the Greek axios. It describes something that is comparable or consistent. In other words, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, let your lives be seen in such a way as to infect anyone who is close enough to watch. You probably heard the term if you've been around the church long, the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, four is one of those passages that talks about the light, the light of the gospel. Light is a visual concept. In fact, Paul immediately adds to that Corinthians passage, the light of the gospel, he continues, that displays the glory of God. That's why virtually all of us who follow Jesus, probably including you, most certainly including me, we made our decision to follow Jesus through a personal relationship we had with one or more other believers. These believers either demonstrated faith to us or answered questions about faith for us, probably both, and probably over time. People may have prayed a prayer of salvation at a weekend church service, where we preach, whether it be here at Soundhouse or up at HDC. But that's just the consummation of a process. I don't lead people to Jesus generally. I have people tell me all the time, I pass on, thanks for leading me to Christ. I said, how? I don't say this, so forgive the way this is going to come out. I say it much more diplomatically, but how did I lead you to Christ? I don't even know you. Well, no, you were, praying, you were preaching that sermon, and the Lord spoke to me, and I prayed at the end of the, the message of that day to give my life to Christ. I, I always see my role this way. I'm like the guy who shows up before they do at the restaurant, and when Cheryl and I go to a restaurant, I open the door for Cheryl. Such a gentleman. And Cheryl walks in, and then people are coming up behind me, Right. And I just stand there and I hold the door and they say, no, you go ahead. I say, "Oh no, bro, you go, you go. And so they go in. As long as Cheryl's ahead of them in line and getting a table, I don't (laughs) mind doing that. And they go in. This is the question that I'm asking. Did I lead those people to the restaurant? I didn't lead them there. I just opened the door for them when they arrived. That happens a lot here. And that's going to happen a lot in the future and Ryan and Chad and others will have the opportunity to open the door for people when they arrive but they will not have led those people to south house church the heavy lifting will have already been done by you 95% 95 out of 100 is a statistical anomaly in any conversation In the world of statistics, it's a shutdown metric. It is essentially 100%. I actually think it's higher than 95, but people already think I'm crazy, so I'm sticking with 95. And you might be thinking, what research do you have to make that claim? I conduct my own research. I'm going to conduct some more in like 60 seconds. In fact, let's conduct it now. I want you to raise your hand if a parent or a sibling, if a work associate or a neighbor or a classmate or a friend were the primary reasons, their influence in your life were the primary reasons that you became a Christian. Raise your hand and hold it up really high. And now just look around the room. You know what we call that? We call that research. I've asked that question of hundreds of thousands of people on on five different continents around the world, every evangelical group, I think, in existence has invited us to be a part of one or more of their gatherings over the last 15 years. I've asked that same question I just asked you time after time after time after time. Different denominations, different churches, big churches, small churches, different ethnicities, different languages, Everything's different. Every church is so unique. You know I've never received an answer. Never, ever, ever received an answer different than the one you just gave me. That's why after healing the demon-possessed man, Jesus said, go home to your own people. And you tell them how much I've done for you. And you show them how I have had mercy on you. After Zacchaeus gave his heart to Jesus, Jesus said, Today's salvation has come to this oikos. That's the Greek word. When Jesus healed the son of a royal official, it says that he and his entire oikos believed. When Jesus called Levi, that is Matthew to be one of his disciples, it says that while Jesus, and I'm quoting Mark chapter 2, verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's oikos, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Cornelius showed interest in becoming a Christian, and the angel told him that Peter would be paying him a visit. And in Acts 11, it says, he's going to bring you a message through which you and all of your oikos will be saved. I mentioned that we have 11 grandchildren, and one of them is going to college next year, our oldest. And when he was just a little boy, Cade, uh, I was given charge over this young person. And uh, he was probably two. And the girls were going shopping or something. And so it was just me, Pops and Cade. And so I sat him down. And I said, well, let's talk about what we're going to do today. And he immediately got up, started bouncing on the couch, just jumping up as high as he could. And I said, hey, bro, somebody's going to get hurt here. Let's not jump on the furniture. And uh, he just kept jumping. And I said, if if your mom were here, okay, I'm telling you, she wouldn't let you jump. Oh yeah, she lets me. (laughs) And I raised his mother so I knew that probably wasn't completely factually correct. And I said, you're telling me that your mother lets you jump on the furniture. This is exactly what he told me. I'll never forget it. He said, well, when she's in the room, she doesn't let me. But when she's not in the room, she does let me. And His two-year-old logic was, I mean, it was foolproof. Where was she? She was not in the room, so. (laughs) You know, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus gave us something, a mechanism, a principle to trigger the growth of his kingdom. And then he left the room. And now we've come up with our own ideas on how to build the church. And I often, often, often tell other pastors um, so, how's that working for you? Because it's not. Um, 95% is a pretty big number to avoid. And you've been programmed to leverage it, as have those who are sitting on your front row. James Clear put it this way, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. That's why Jesus gave us a system. You know, the Oikos Principles Alive and Well in Soundhouse Church, it's the reason that 95% of the people who are already here are already here. And it will be the reason 95% of the people who will be coming in the future will be coming in the future. My challenge to you is just look for ways to leverage it better because your intentionality on this idea will exponentially grow God's kingdom in Long Beach, California. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity. Lord, you are so good to us and we are so indebted to you. The least, least we can do is give intentional time to the only thing you asked us to consider before you left. And Father, as we pray for this church family and, and Pastor Ryan and, and Chad and others, would you give them um, great synergy as a church family? And uh, I just pray you blow this thing out of the water as, as people... Uh, become intentional about people. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. All right.